Well, amen. Good to be with you guys again this morning. Uh, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Man, happy one year anniversary to River City. That's really fun, right? Uh, I spent like hours yesterday cutting up chicken. So there's like this delicious pepin marinated chicken. Like lots of chicken waiting for you guys at our house. So I'm really excited to have you guys over and to celebrate a year of uh, serving God, serving our city, developing his kingdom here. And so um, no matter if you're brand new or if you've been here a long time, man, you should come. It'd be, we would really love to have you. There's plenty of food. Uh, we would love to have you. So come, especially you college students. Let, let's be honest. You're not having good food somewhere else anyways, right? <laughs> let's just be honest. So just come to my house. It'll be good, okay? Um, so we've, uh, if you've been with us, we've been uh, studying this fall the books of First and Second Peter. And um, the books First and Second Peter are written to a group of Christians living in the Roman Empire, and um, they're under some suffering and some trial right now because of their allegiance to Jesus and their faith. It was changing their lives in real and noticeable ways, and their society and even their families kind of ostracized them and pushed them to the edges and pushed them to the margins. Um, because of the way that they were living, because of this allegiance to Jesus that was changing their lives. And what was happening is they were living as citizens of heaven in the midst of the world that they actually lived in. Their identity had been changed, and so their lives looked different, and their lives were actually changing because their identity had changed. And what we saw last week is that the identity, uh, part of the identity that God has given his people comes and it brings with it a brand new purpose as well. And the identity that we have as, God, as exiles and foreigners in this world, yet as citizens of heaven, is to be God's people, to be his royal priesthood, his holy nation, the purpose of all of which is so that we might declare the praises of the king who has saved us. And that we might also demonstrate to the world, show the world what he's like. And so the purpose of Christians, our, the, our reason for being, right, is so that we might declare and demonstrate King Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. That's the purpose. It's the mission that we've been given. And over the next four weeks, uh, Peter is going to flesh out kind of the latter half of that purpose. We talked about the purpose is both the declaration and the demonstration of this king, right? And so over the next four weeks, Peter's going to flesh out more on the latter side of that. What, what are some ways that we demonstrate who God is and what he's like? What are some ways that we demonstrate to the world, that we show the world what he's like? And the common thread that's going to tie all four of these examples, four of these areas, four relationships that Peter's going to highlight, the common thread that ties them all together is honor and submission. Honor and submission are, are to characterize these four relationships that we're supposed to have. And what I want us to see today, and what Peter's going to spend the next four weeks fleshing out for us, is that as God's people, we have been both called and freed to demonstrate the gospel with relationships that are characterized by respect and submission, by honor and submission. As God's people set apart for his purposes, one of the chief ways in which we represent him and his kingdom to the world, that we show people what he is like, is in how we relate to other people. And this morning in verses 13 through 17 of chapter 2, Peter's going to focus on the first of those four relationships. It is the most popular and the easiest to talk about, how we relate to government. It's just, just a tiny little thing. It really bears no resemblance or anything. No, it's a really big thing. 
And it's complex, and there's a lot going on there, and it matters. And it mattered 2,000 years ago when Peter wrote to these young Christians, and it matters today. And so this morning as we study, I I trust that our passage is going to be good news for us. I I trust as well that it's going to challenge us. Because if there is two things that fly in the face of Christians' way that we relate to the government and the world's way that we relate to the government, no one thinks that honor and submission should characterize the way that we relate to the government. No one thinks that, except God and his word. And so there's going to be a challenge for us, for all of us, no matter where you're at on the spectrum, as we seek to put ourselves under the authority of God's word first, so that it might change the way that we relate to the world around us. This morning, as we study, again, what I want us to see is that we have been called and freed as God's people to submit to human authority. So let's pray and read our passage and and dive in. God, we are uh, so thankful for your word. We are thankful for you. God, as we study just a challenging passage this morning, God, I just pray that you might give us wisdom and insight. God, fill me with your spirit so that I'd just be fruitful and helpful in communicating your word. But God, I I just ask that by your spirit, you'd give us humble and teachable hearts. God, respect and submission and honor, those are things that like we just naturally, we, we rub against. But God, I just ask that just graciously you'd give us teachable hearts so that we might uh, reflect you and demonstrate you to our world. God, help us help this passage to be good news to us and good news to those we're sent to. Pray these things in your good name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. There's a lot in just a few verses. The passage begins, we're called to demonstrate the gospel by respecting and submitting to human authority. The passage opens by saying, submit yourselves to every human authority. He goes on to give some examples. He says, whether it's to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him, submit yourself to every human authority. What does that mean? That seems like a really loaded thing. Let me just want to point out three, three, three things about what Peter says. First, some translations um, say that we're supposed to submit ourselves to every human institution, but I think the NIV uh, does a really good job here when it says that we're supposed to submit ourselves to every human authority. Literally, the translation is be subject to every human creature. The good old KJV translated translates it uses the phrase be subject to every ordinance of man and what i think is really helpful about the, the way that the niv and even the kjv translate it is that the focus is not about being submitted to a system or an institution rather the focus is on the people whom we are to respect behind the systems and institutions Verse 17 highlights this. It says, show respect to every one. Show proper respect to everyone. And he goes on and to bring up the emperor again. He says, honor the emperor. 
The Apostle Paul echoes Peter's words here uh, in the letter, his letter to the young pastor Titus in chapter 3 of the book of Titus. He says, remind people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good. You see, the focus is on honoring and respecting and submitting to the people behind the systems and the structures and rulers rather than just the institutions themselves. Remember, the context of all of this, verses 11 and 12 through last week, it says, live such good lives amongst the pagans that they would see your good deeds and that they would glorify God. See, the submission that Peter's calling Christians to is not just aimed at simply following the rules. It's not just aimed at simply just being a good citizen of your country. The emphasis behind it is the people. The heart is for the people. Secondly, Peter emphasizes the voluntary nature of this submission. He doesn't just say, allow yourselves to be subjected to every human authority. He says, submit yourselves. It's not a, it's not a passive thing. It's not a resistive thing. It's an active choice. And Peter says, submit yourselves to every human authority. It's not about being forced into submission. That's not what Peter has in mind, and nor was it what Jesus demonstrated or modeled for us. When Jesus was uh, arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you think he was forced into submission there? If you think he was forced into submission, then you have no idea who Jesus is, right? No, he went willingly. Was, Was Jesus forced into submission under Pontius Pilate? No, Jesus was not forced into submission under him. He willingly laid down and submitted under his authority. He entrusted himself to that authority. There's no power, there's no example, there's no demonstration of the goodness of our king and of his kingdom by just in in a forced submission, but instead a voluntary laying down of our rights and our privileges. That's something altogether different. One commentator writes it this way. This whole section is in direct antithesis to the spirit of the world where every individual and group demands its rights and understands liberty as a freedom from all responsibility. Instead, Peter calls Christians to choose to submit themselves to authority. Thirdly, Peter notes that it's an ordered allegiance that governs this respect and submission that we're to have towards the government. Verse 17 says, show proper respect. This is key, proper respect. The respect and submission that we're called to is not an unquestioning, blind allegiance. It's not just like, all right, well, I guess it's your title. Okay, cool, everything. You don't show respect and honor to the emperor the same way that you show respect and honor to a criminal, right? But it doesn't mean that you don't show respect and honor to both. You respect and you honor an emperor by obeying the laws that they have set up. That honors them. You give a fair trial with just punishments, not out of vengeance or out of anger to a criminal. That honors a criminal. But it looks very different. Verse 17, Peter is calling them to have an ordered allegiance that informs the way that they're to relate to the emperor. Note this, he says, fear the Lord and honor the emperor. That word honor there is the same word Peter says when he says, show proper respect to everyone. And so Peter, he's kind of slipping in this little jab, right? Peter's writing to a people whose emperor Nero claimed to be God, 
and demanded that people worship him as God. And here Peter is saying, ah, oh, no, 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 no. Emperor, your emperor Nero, he, he, he's not God. And so he's not to be feared. He's not to be worshipped. He's not to be given utmost value and utmost importance. No, no, no. That belongs to the Lord. But he is another human. He is another person. And he is to be honored. And he is to be respected. Just to be clear, Peter is not advocating that we disobey God in order to respect, in order to submit to the government that we find ourselves under. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is hauled before the Jewish leaders and they, they tell him, you must stop telling people about Jesus. You, you have to stop. And Peter's like, sorry, bro, that's not going to happen. He says, specifically, he says, um, well, God's told us to do this and I'm going to obey him instead of you. One pastor puts it this way, to the extent that the government is not asking us to sin, we submit and obey. To the extent that the government is not asking us to sin, we submit and we obey. So what kind of submission and respect to, for our leaders, what does that kind of look like? Verse 16 sums it up this way, by says, it says, by doing good, right? So what does that mean? What is, what is doing good? First, I think it's an obedience to the laws of our country. In Peter's day and in ours, there are, there are Christians who think, I'm citizens of God's kingdom. I don't need to pay attention to this earthly kingdom. I'm just going to obey God. I'm just going to do whatever he thinks. This doesn't matter. This world's fading away. Just doesn't matter. I'll obey God. And that's not only inconsistent with what the New Testament specifically articulates about how we're supposed to relate to the government, but it totally misunderstands our purpose as God's people. Peter is saying that your citizenship in heaven, it doesn't negate your citizenship here. Instead, he says you hold a dual citizenship. There's an order of allegiance in your citizenship. Remember that they were to fear God, but only to honor the emperor. If you want to become a citizen in the United States, you have to take what's called the oath of allegiance. It's a real thing, not joking. It's actually a thing, right? It's one of those you got to like hand on the Bible, repeat after me, that kind of thing, right? It's kind of long, and basically what, what you're promising is two things. One, you, you have to renounce your allegiance to the former rulers or authorities or governments that you used to be a citizen of, and you have to promise to support and defend the Constitution and the laws of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. It's a little FBI in there, right? But what's important to note is that you don't have to give up your citizenship somewhere else to become a citizen of the United States. Instead, you have to order your allegiance. You have to say, I'm submitting first to the laws and the rulers and the purposes of this country. And I choose to live under this system and under these authorities, under these rulers. This is my government. And it doesn't mean I don't care about my past city or my past uh, citizenship, but it means there is an ordered allegiance to our new one. The same is true as Christians. When we become citizens of God's kingdom, it's not just another stamp on our spiritual passports. It's coming to him and his kingdom and having an allegiance to him that is first and foremost, to care most about him, to be ruled and governed under his authority. 
And it doesn't mean that we're no longer citizens of our earthly country. No, like I talked about last week, now we have this unique opportunity as God's ambassadors, as people who hold a dual citizenship, we're his royal priesthood, and so we represent him to people, and we represent people to him. It's the role of an ambassador. It's the role of a royal priest that we've been given. John Piper notes it this way. He says, there is an overlap between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of Christ. Hear this, so that the reign of Christ would be seen in the world. Remember, doing good is more than just an obedience to the laws of a country for the sake of being rule followers. It's about honoring the people behind the laws with the goal that they might see it as good news and see the king that you really serve. But doing good is not just about honoring the rulers and authorities by submitting to the laws of our country. One commentator points out, doing good has to mean more than simply obeying the laws of the land. Simply obeying the laws does not distinguish Christians from other people in any particular way. Last week I referenced God's words to the exiled Israelis in Jeremiah 29. He says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city that you've been sent into. There were exiles in Babylon, the enemy of all enemies. And he says, pray to the Lord on its behalf. Seek that city's welfare. Seek its good. Plant gardens and live there. Seek, its, seek for it to grow and become better. God tells them to seek the good of the city. They're supposed to care about the people and the place where they live and to care about making it better. And in so doing, they're to demonstrate to people the good news of God's kingdom as it breaks into the world. Some Christians think that we should have a totally, we should just be totally removed from the world and separate from its problems. We, should, we shouldn't be in, involved in government in any way at all. We shouldn't seek to change the laws or to influence policy. We just need to worry about ourselves. We just need to be totally disengaged from this political sphere and the political spectrum. And just as one commentator writes, it is really difficult to square the words of Peter with that kind of thinking in any way. <laughs> Peter's words just, there's no way you can kind of construe them to mean that. Conversely, some Christians think that the most important thing that we can do is, is fight for political change, to elect people that will write new laws and make our country more moral or more Christian. You know these people, every post on their Facebook feed is kind of like a political battle. And um, anyone, especially politicians who hold opposing views, are either like representatives of Satan himself or just the most ignorant people that people could possibly be. And they're always on the offensive. And as a result, they have a really loud voice, but an incredibly minimal impact on people that don't know Jesus yet. Because they either never knew anyone who wasn't a Christian, or they have pushed them all away. And what I want you to hear is Peter calls us as Christians to neither of those options. The call as Christians as we relate to the government is not disengagement. It's not passionate involvement, overpassionate involvement. See, what happens in both of those views is that people are the enemy. People are the problem that needs solving. People are the enemy who will never change. So let's just stay away. We're just going to disregard it. There's no hope. Or in the other view, people are the enemy who must change. So let's force that to change by changing the laws and changing the systems and changing the structures and having the loudest, most influential voice in politics. And I just 
I just need you to hear. People are not the enemy. People are not the enemy, especially people who disagree with you. They are not the enemy. Satan, sin, and death are the enemy. People are not a problem that needs solving. People need saving. And our calling to honor and submission has that battle in mind. The passage doesn't say just, just it doesn't open by saying, submit yourselves to every a human authority. It says, do it for the Lord's sake. For his sake, submit yourself. That changes everything. Our reason, our motivation to honor and submit to the government, I just need you to hear this. It's not so it'll go better for you. Spoiler alert. Peter is murdered by the people he told his, these Christians to submit to. It's not about avoiding suffering. In fact, their lives are the specific reason that they are suffering. Instead, it's about leveraging their suffering as an opportunity for de- demonstrating the gospel. It's not about respecting and honoring the government because they do it in return to you. And it's not because people have earned or deserved to be respected or submitted to. Did you see none of those things in Peter's argument? This is like the, this is the hardest thing for most of us because the default mode of our heart is you treat people the way they treat you. That's the default mode of everybody's heart. Just That's not the gospel. The gospel is you were treated in a way you absolutely didn't deserve to be treated. So you're called to do the same. Is that the pattern of God's kingdom? No, our calling to honor and submission is not about us at all. It's about God. I need you to hear this. It's not for your good. It's not for so our country will be more Christian. It's not so that you will experience less suffering. It's so that God will be glorified. As we demonstrate the effects of his kingly rule, it will be good news to people. One pastor put it this way. There is a way to carry yourself with respect to the governmental authority that will make you stand out as good news. It will give you an opportunity then to declare the king who brings about that kind of kingdom. Another commentator writes it this way, for the Lord's sake refers not so much to our duty as to the opportunities God gives us in our relationships. We serve and honor the Lord by submitting to others. We honor every human creature and we acknowledge the supreme authority of the king and of the governors who are sent by him. We honor and submit to show respect for the government and for its leaders because in doing so, hear this, in doing so we honor the Lord. We honor him as we honor his image in people. It's not about whether you agree with people or not. It's about the love for the Lord and your longing for others to know him. It's God's chosen people, as his sent people were to do good, to honor and submit to the human authorities that are placed in our lives. It's a respect and honor and submission that's characterized ultimately on people, not on institutions. It's to be intentional and voluntary, not forced. It's to be discerning and prioritized with God first. And it has, it's, it's two people, but it's for God. And I know that by now, there are probably, there's probably this tension building in many of you. I know it was in me in my own prep this week. And you're thinking, wait, but what about this situation? And what about this situation? Or these things that are going on? Or this whatever? Don't you know how evil people can be? Or how bad the government can be? Yes, I do. And I can guarantee you that Peter knew that exponentially better than any of us. 
Remember, he would literally be crucified just, just a few years from writing this. He would literally be crucified by this government for choosing not to stop telling people about Jesus. He was not naive or uninformed. He was deliberate. He knew well the calling and the purpose his new identity came with. And it wasn't to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. His calling was to the declaration and the demonstration of the king of the universe. So that people would come to worship that king. That was his calling and it's our calling as well as God's people. And we've been freed in order to live that way. Verse 16 shows us, Peter reminds us that God's people are, are not just called to demonstrate the gospel by respecting and submitting to authority. Now he says, you are freed in order to do it. We're called to it, but we are freed to do it as well. We've been set free, and it's not to live for ourselves, which is most often what we want. See, the idea of respecting and submitting to human authority in general, it rubs us the wrong way. Human authority especially, right? It's taboo in our culture. It's the unhindered individual's opinion and the freedom to do or say whatever you want that is most prized. Everyone has a right to know exactly what you think at every moment. They deserve to know that, don't they? They need to know what makes you angry. They need to know. People have to know what I think. Our culture values the individual expression, but it hates verbal restraint. Our president himself prides himself on always telling it like it is. It's the reason many people like him. But you will find zero verses in the Bible that praise an unbridled and unfiltered tongue. You will find zero verses that praise that. What's most prized in our world is rebellion. It's insurrection. It's standing up to the powers. It's sticking it to the man. Our culture is all about standing up for and demanding what you deserve. And all of that is because by nature and choice, every one of us are mutinous rebels. Deep down, every one of us wants to worship ourselves. We want our opinion to matter the most. We want to live for ourselves. We want to make the rules. We want to decide what is right and what's wrong. Deep down, every one of us wants to be God. And that is the root of all sin. Some of us need a heart check because the problem you have with submission and authority is not just the government, it's submission and authority in general. You don't want anyone telling what you to, you don't want anyone telling you what to do, certainly not, certainly not God. And I just need you to hear this. God will not be known like that. The only way that God is known is in surrender and submission. You can't know him unless you surrender and submit to him. He's the king of the universe. He will not be known as just a patsy. You see, we need to be set free from slavery to ourselves and our own passions and desires. We need to be set free in order to know God and to be servants of him. The NIV translates that we're slaves of God. That word is kind of hard to translate. Often it's bondservant or servant. The invitation is that we have a new master, but it's the best master of all. It's the one who longs for our good, who longs for our growth, who longs for the best for us. So we're free to submit to him. The gospel frees us to honor and submit to human authority because it frees us from living for ourselves and our idolizing and living for our country and enables us to humbly serve as Jesus did. 
Our world needs to see what that looks like, to see a people who is free to stop living for themselves and start to living for God, a people who is free from the need to be king and is free to instead worship the king. One pastor writes it this way, most people submit because they have to. Either they know if they don't, they'll be punished or they have something to gain. Peter says, as a Christian, you're free from both. You no longer fear what the government can do to you and you no longer uh, do and obey because that's the way to get ahead because now you trust God to take care of all of your needs now and forever. So you are free of the captives that control the world's obedience, but now you have new motivations. You're servants of God and you submit to human authority for his sake. The gospel does not bring anarchy. Anarchy is just slavery to self. Anarchy is not actually freedom. Anarchy is just slavery to self. The gospel does not bring anarchy. The gospel brings adoption. It's adoption into God's family, into his purposes. The gospel frees us to be children of God, to be servants of him. Tragically, I think what happens far too often is that with people's lives and their words and their posts on the internet, they reveal that they're still slaves to, a, to another master. You really saw this super clearly in the last election, but you see it all the time, right? Some people were overjoyed when Trump won. Finally, someone who will save our country. Some people were absolutely crushed and in despair, like months of just like trying to pull themselves out of bed in the morning, right? What could possibly happen to our country now? Everything is ruined. And both of those responses reveal that you are still living in slavery because you think someone or something will save other than Jesus. And it never will because it never could. And you just reveal that you're worshiping a savior that's worthless because all of them will let you down. What happens is when you point people to worship a false savior, you rob the true king of the worship he deserves and you reveal that you're still a slave. That you're not free. But the gospel, it sets us free. It enables us to honor and submit to human authorities, even those we disagree with, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus does. Not because they have earned it, but because Jesus has earned it. And in honoring them, we honor him, which is worth doing anything for. When we honor and submit to human authorities, not based on their deserving, you proclaim a different gospel. You proclaim an actual good news because you were treated in a way you did not deserve to be treated. We did not deserve to get shown grace. We did not deserve to get shown mercy. We did not deserve to get chosen and adopted into God's family. But we have. And so we are free to treat others as they do not deserve to be treated. That's good news to the world around us because the world does not treat people that way. The kingdom and his people treat people that way. It's good news to our world. Far too often, we just reflect back to the world what we see in them. We feel offended, so we offend in return. And Satan loves that because he says, oh, I know those weapons well. I made those ones. 
I know exactly the defense. I know exactly how to use those. As one pastor notes, he says, we need to start using the Lord's weapons, humility, love, honor, submission. Against us such things, there is no law and there is no defense. Submission and respect, those don't feel like weapons, do they? But they're spiritual weapons which have the power to tear down any stronghold. I just want to acknowledge that as Christians, as we seek to honor God's word, put ourselves under its authority and submit to the government, it is not like this simple black and white, just like you always know what you're supposed to do kind of thing. I I really wish it was. I wish I could just give you like three steps that were like, here's how you know what to do in every situation. And here's how you know how to honor the Lord and exactly what it looks like. But unfortunately, like that's just not, it's just not in God's word to know how to do that, right? Instead, I want to just maybe pose some questions to you to ask as you think every day, as you get invited to um, be God's people, demonstrating him, declaring him to the world, as you think about the ways that you relate to the government, Three questions I just want to ask as we think about being God's people, his ambassadors, living under a, a foreign government, right? One, uh, what, what are you known for, especially as it retains to relating to the government? We're all worship leaders. I said that last week. Your life reveals what you worship, and it reveals what you're calling other people to worship with you. Does your life and your Facebook posts, do they reveal that you believe that Jesus is king, that he is savior, or do they reveal that you look to something else, that something else matters most? What you say and how you treat people reveals the citizenship to which you are most aligned. It reveals the king you care most about. I was really convicted about this week in my prep, and even over the past few months, Many of you guys know there's kind of this big construction project that happened in my backyard over the course of the summer, and it kind of resulted in my property, some, some, some problems, like flooding in my property. And um, what I found is that over the past few months, I was just like constantly fighting like this. Stupid government. I didn't need a pipe in my backyard, and now everything is ruined, and now I'm probably going to have to pay extra taxes for this. And, and I just started like complaining to my neighbors about it and complaining to the construction lead about it. And after nothing and nothing and nothing got done, I ended up calling the city official. And I'm on the phone with the city official in charge of it. And I'm like almost about to start yelling. I'm so frustrated. And the Spirit of God is just like, arrest my heart in that moment. And I was like, just like halted almost, it felt like. And I just like needed to stop in that moment. And I was like, Ma'am, I, I need to apologize for the way that I've been talking to you. Uh, I just, I'm really sorry about that. That's not what you deserved. I'm, you know, like, I'm, I really need to apologize about that. Like, I'm sure stuff with my yard's going to get figured out. It's okay. Please just forgive me for the way that I've just treated you. And she was pretty caught off guard by that because I don't think many people dramatically change like that in the midst of a conversation, right? Um, <laughs> I realized I needed to go back to my neighbors. There's a few neighbors I went back to, and I said, like, I just really need to apologize. I've just, I've just had a really terrible attitude about all the stuff that's going on, and I've talked badly about our city in front of you, and just like, that, I just really need to apologize about that. That's not what I want to be known for. That's not how I want to represent. The guy who's in charge of the construction project, there were plenty of moments where I just, like, you know, there's plenty of moments where I, I did well and I treated him respectfully, but there are moments I didn't and I needed to go back to him and I needed to say like, 
man, I, I just really need to apologize to you. Like, I, I should not have used that tone with you or should not have been, like, just the Lord convicted my heart, right? Because what I needed to do was to submit to the authorities that God had put over that situation, which in that case was the city of Asbury, right? And what that didn't mean is that I stopped caring about my yard getting fixed. But what it did mean is that I went about it in a wildly different way. In a way that hopefully shows my neighbors that the kingdom I care most about is not my yard. That the kingdom I care most about is not my own kingdom. Is the flag that you wave, is it King Jesus' flag? Or is it the flag of another kingdom or another country? Sometimes waving the red, white, and blue is not the right thing to do. Sometimes that's rebellion. Is Jesus' flag, is his kingdom the one that you are most aligned with? The one that your allegiance is first to? We are ambassadors. What we are known for reflects the king we represent. It matters. Secondly, do you want everyone to care about what you think or do you want everyone to care about what God thinks? If you want people to care about what God thinks, you will be slow to speak and quick to listen and you will be marked by discernment, not hot takes. People are watching you. And the saddest thing for me is when people, when Christians choose to care most about a particular issue or candidate or cause and in championing that at all costs, they lose any ability to speak into the lives of people that don't know Jesus. Because they've waved the flag of a different country, and it's not Jesus. I'm not telling you how to vote. I never will. You will never, ever see me endorsing a personal candidate. You will never see a, a leader in this church endorsing a personal candidate. Because no matter what I think, I don't want you distracted in any way from what King Jesus thinks. It's not important. What he thinks is most important. He matters most. You cannot have an opinion about everything and still point Jesus' opinion as the one that matters most. Thirdly, are your conversations and the opinions about the government and the people involved, are they honorable? I don't think I need to like deeply flesh this out, but name-calling, anger, hot takes, disparaging people, insulting other people, I don't care how much you disagree with them. That doesn't honor them, and it doesn't honor the Lord. So stop. I know I've been convicted about this myself. There are things that happen in our world and in our government. I'm just like, how is it possible that someone thinks this way? And I start to, to like disparage people, or I start to disparage whatever. I'm realizing that does, no matter what I think, I'm called to honor whoever is in office. And honoring them doesn't mean agreeing with them, but it sure means not insulting them. Remember, we're God's people sent to declare and demonstrate Him how we carry ourselves, how we walk, the things that we post online. Do they honor people? Do they honor God? They give you a chance to show the good news about the kingdom breaking into the world. 
Or do you lose an opportunity to reflect and show Jesus? It matters. Our tone, our posture, what we say, how we say it, it matters. I just want to articulate this just before we close. Uh, what I'm not calling us to is Christians is to be silent about issues we see in the world. Sometimes to be silent about things that oppose God and his kingdom, sometimes that's sin, right? What I'm calling us to is not silence in regards to that. What I'm calling us to do is to engage in those issues in a way that honors and respects the people in leadership. It's like you know what honors people and you know what doesn't, okay? You can disagree with people in an honorable way. That, that reflects the king that we serve. The king that loved enemies even when they hated him. The king that died for people who, who rejected him. The gospel frees us to relate to government differently. In a few minutes, we're going to remember our new identity and the freedom that we have as we take communion. But before we do that, some of us, we need to repent. And repent of attitudes towards our government or towards its leaders that just aren't honoring to the Lord or to them. We need to repent of seeing people as the problem instead of sin as the problem. We need to repent of caring more about policies than we do about people's hearts. And we need to repent sometimes of a disengagement or an apathy towards this world or hopelessness. We need to repent of worshiping something other than King Jesus. And the beauty of communion is that as we take communion, it's, it's a remembrance. We've already been forgiven for all that. We've already been set free from living for those things. Instead of set free to live for Jesus, we've been called by him, given a new life and a new identity. And as we confess our sin, as we repent, as we come and take communion as a remembrance of all that he's done, there's power to live in light of who he is and who he's made us to be. So communion, it's a picture, it's a reminder for us of the gospel. And the bread reminds us of Jesus' body, which was broken for us as he lived the life that we couldn't live. And the drink reminds us of his blood that was shed for us as he died the death that we should have died. And he did it for us in our place. And communion doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't save you. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to remember the gospel, to remember the new identity that we've been given, the new calling that we've been given, the new freedom that we have to live in light of it. And so the bread and the juice, they're in the back, and you just take the bread and you dip it in the juice. And as we sing and as we worship and remember the gospel together in song, if you put your trust in Jesus, then whenever you're ready, go back and take communion. You don't need to be a member here at River City. You just need to belong to Jesus. But if that's not the case yet, if you don't belong to him, then we are so grateful that you're here. You are so welcome here. But we'd invite you to hold off on taking communion. Instead, We'd long that you'd come and receive him, receive Jesus, the true bread of life. Before you take the elements, receive him. He's what you really need. Let's pray. God, we just come as your people. God, just recognize like this is a difficult situation, and there's so many areas in which uh, we need you to keep um, just reforming who we are. We need you to keep reshaping us and molding us into your people that we might be sent to proclaim the good news about who you are and about your kingdom. And so, we, God, we just ask just humbly that for, for our good, for your glory, that you'd, be, that you'd be causing us to increasingly look more and more like your son, Jesus. 
the way that we relate to the government would honor people and would honor you, that it'd be for their good, but for your glory. And so, God, we just we just come and we just we need your help to do that. We need you to empower us to live as your people as we seek to uh, honor and submit to the government so that people might come to know and love and follow you, that your worship and your glory might increase ongoingly forever. So, God, we ask just as your people help us, empower us to be your people sent for you. We need your help, God. We love you. Amen.